Well, good morning. Thank you for coming out today. And personally, I'm very glad to be here. Um, Judy is in Georgia. They left last Monday, and her and the dog um, went to Georgia. And so I'm flying solo. And it was really cool, you know, went to work, you know. And then Thursday I had a day, vacation day. So went to the hospital and saw Dale and came back. You know, it was cool. And then it started, like, snowing, you know. And so, like, Friday I was, like, all by myself, you know. And now Jonathan did come rescue me Friday night in the four-wheel and take me out to the house so I could see the grandkids. And then, like, yesterday. So I, I'm just glad to be in church today. You know, sometimes I, I'm here because I'm paid to be here. That's supposed to be funny. Well, now, come on now. There's three or four reasons why you're here. You know, like either you're paid to be here or your mother or your wife made you come or you just love God, you know. So those of you who are here today, probably most of you really love God. And we're really glad that you are here. Now, here's what I want you to know. It would be, it would be easy and wrong to kind of go, well, let's just get this thing done. We've got about 150, 200 people here today, a lot smaller crowd. Let's just get through it, you know, and come back night and we'll sing. I personally believe this. That one, we are in a position for the Holy Spirit to really work well. Because again, every week there's a lot of people that don't want to be here. And there's a lot of people that, um, that frankly have pretty sour attitudes sometimes. And so they kind of quench the Spirit. I've got to figure that since you want to be here, it might be a great opportunity for God to really speak loudly. That's, that's my take anyway. And I, I believe a sovereign God um, like appointed you to be here today. There are no accidents. I believe you're here by divine appointment. And so what I'd like to do is pause and pray and say, okay, God, you got us here. Now do what you want to do. Is that that cool? All right, let's pray. Father, I mean that, what I just all said. What a great opportunity for you to work. You have, in your divine sovereignty, you've you've put a crowd here that in some ways is very unusual. And Father, that makes it really enticing for us to say to you today, and, and not enticing, but rightly to say, oh God, Do something really big in this church today. And then, Father, there are folks that normally wouldn't be listening on the radio who are because they they, they had to stay home today because of the ice and snow. And so we pray that you'll have them, their Father, join us in worship. So, God, do um, what you want to do in a really great way today. And we promise you this. um, All the glory and all the honor goes to the one who is worthy, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. All God's people said, amen. Well, listen, we're in the midst of a series like week number two of a series that we're calling The Gift. And if you look on the sermon sheet today, it's the gift that keeps on giving, but really the gift. And last week we talked about how much God loved us. And today we want to talk about, I know this is kind of a weird title, The Grave, Grace, and Gravy. And that just happens to be the three points of the message today as we look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, now there's something I want to show you today that if you've been to the Christmas Eve service, you've seen it. And if you've been to um, the uh, Lord's Supper service that we have in around Christmas time, you've seen it. Um, probably uh, another time I know you might have seen it, but I promise you all of you haven't. If you'll throw that picture up, it's one of my favorite things about Christmas. That we have, you know, again, with Judy gone, I kind of spent the week decorating the house because we're a little bit behind getting that done. And so um, this is the favorite thing that we had. This, this nativity set, and that's not all of it, the, the, you know, the shepherds and stuff are off to the side. But this is the main thrust of it. And this nativity set's been in our family since um, Rebecca and Jennifer were probably, I think, about three years old. We bought it at Sears one day um, on sale, and I, we've used it all through the years. And it's really a normal set. In fact, if, you, if I had the close-ups, 
whoever, the little China guy who painted this did not do a very good job. I mean, but what makes this nativity set really, really unusual is the blonde lady, or excuse me, the black-haired lady with a maroon dress on the right-hand side. Do you see her? That is Scarlett O'Hare. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth, and probably to my dying day, it's my favorite Christmas story. It goes something like this. When I was at Cobden, um, I liked the Civil War. Uh, my office is decorated with a lot of the Civil War stuff. And someone at Cobden gave me an a ornament of Scarlet O'Hare. And so we hang that on our Christmas tree every year. That was until about 02 or 03, somewhere in there. And my granddaughter, Faith, would, as granddaughters do, would go to the Christmas tree and pick out the ornaments that, you know, that were cool and wanted to play with. And one that she thought it was really cool was Scarlet O'Hare because I'm sure she thought it was like a little doll. And so she started playing with Scarlett O'Hare. And then we come into the living room or den, wherever the, or, where the uh, nativity set was that year. And I look, and they're sitting in, in the nativity set, just like you sit there, with Scarlett O'Hare. And my first thought was, what in the world are you doing there? You know, you do not belong with a holy family because, let's face it, she was a pretty loose woman. And so, you know, it's really... So I, I wanted to move it, and then, thankfully, I really believe it was the Holy Spirit. It was God spoke to my heart and said, move her. That's what it's all about. That's the whole point of the Christmas story, is that people like Scarlett O'Hare or Dwayne Taylor can come and be a part of the Holy Family through God's amazing grace. So this week, I set that up, and I said, oh, my. Thank you, God, again for reminding me this year. Of your amazing, amazing grace. So what we want to do today is, is to take Ephesians chapter 2, which again, for many of you is a very familiar scripture. We want to take Ephesians chapter 2, and we want to journey through God's amazing grace. So if you'll take your Bibles, please, and please get your Bible out to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we want to look at the grave. We're going to look at grace, and we're going to end up with... This amazing thing just called the gravy. The gravy. All right? Now, of course, the, the letter of, the, uh, of Ephesians, it's not really a book, it's a letter, was wrote, written to the church at, at Ephesus. That's exactly right. Paul is writing to the church there. Now, the church was a young church. It was not long established. And when you have a young church like that, you have a lot of young believers in a church like that. And Paul wants to remind them, because he would know the tendency of young believers to forget what God had done for them. Now, keep in mind, he's writing to the ecclesia. He is writing to the local church. So today, um, I would say that this message is directed to those of you who know Jesus Christ as Savior. You are the ecclesia. Now, if you're here today, and for whatever reason you're in church on a snowy day, then you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you get to listen in, and this is the best news that you're ever going to hear, and we invite you to have an opportunity to come and know Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior. But Paul is writing to the ecclesia, and he wants to remind them, because here's the tendency. The tendency is not only to forget what God has done for us, But as we journey down the Christian road, and frankly, we become pretty moral, we become pretty, quote, good people, we have that tendency to think that we're good. 
And Paul knew this. As a Pharisee, he really knew the danger of this. The Pharisees were the best law keepers there were. They, they got their spirituality, their righteousness, they thought, by keeping the rules. And so he knew, as he discovered God's grace, that this was a great danger. And so he wants the Ephesus church to know that, be careful, and remember what God has done for you. Remember that you're the scarlet O'Hara at the manger scene, and it's all because of God's amazing grace. So here we go. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1 through 10, we read these words. And he made alive. Now, now, now catch this. And he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, now keep in mind that again, he's writing to the ecclesia. He's writing to the church. And so he goes, now listen, past tense. As you made a, a commitment to Jesus Christ, as you discovered what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your life, he says, remember, he has made you alive and that you were once dead. Now this again, this is just huge. This is huge that we remember this. Now, I, let me tell you why. Um, there's a guy named George Santana. Um, who lived back like in the 18th century. He was a Spaniard who lived in America and then went back to Spain eventually. But he's the guy. Well, let me give you that quote because I have one in my brain that's not exactly right. He's the guy who said this. Um, here it is. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. He's the one who said that. And Paul says, I want you to remember that he made you alive because you were once dead. Because if you forget that, you have a tendency to go back to what you were before. What will hold us? I often wonder, why do some people make a commitment to Christ and walk away? Why do some people start coming to church and they walk away? Why do some people um, seem to have a genuine conversion experience and they walk away? And I'm going to tell you why I think. I think they forget. I think they somehow forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I honestly believe that if we remember what Jesus Christ did for us, we can't walk away. It will, the allurement of grace and God's power will just hold us tightly. So, so Paul says that, now listen, you're alive now. If you know Jesus Christ, you're alive now, but you once were dead in trespasses and sin. And what that means is, now write this down if you're a note taker. You are hopelessly and helplessly separated from God. Spiritually, you are D-O-A. You are dead on arrival. You are dead, separated from God. But because of Jesus Christ, Paul says, you are now alive. But had God not intervened, you would have remained spiritually dead. He who wanted to do something, he who could do something, did something. And God chose, through grace, to sinners like you and I, the opportunity to come into the Holy Family. To come and be a part of His family. Are you getting it? You were dead. Now listen. You said, well, you have to wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop time out. I wasn't that bad. Excuse me? On your best day, you were that bad. On, on your best day. If you were separated from Christ and separated from God, on your best day, you were going to split hell wide open. I'm trying to get this too. Remember, he's writing to the church. I'm not trying to scare sinners into the family. I'm trying to get you to remember what God did for you. You were hopelessly and helplessly separated from holy God. And then he goes on and says this. And once you, in which you once walked according to the code, course of this world. In other words, now, before Christ, you were separated from God hopelessly and helplessly. And the path that you walked was the path of the world. 
The core values, values you held were according to the world. The decisions you made were influenced by the world. Uh, the way you went was influenced by the world. You were hopelessly and helplessly walking this path according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience. Your influencer, your leader, and some would say, God certainly did, Jesus did, your father was the devil. And he was the one who influenced your decisions and the way you walked before you met Jesus Christ. When you are spiritually dead, it only makes sense for you to walk the way of the world. But before you were made alive again, when you were spiritually dead, it only makes common sense spiritually for you to understand that your decisions and your path and your life was influenced by the satanic one and by the course of this world. Now let's pause. I want to help some of you today. Every once in a while, society will do something really incredibly stupid, spiritually, morally, morally. And, and I remember a particular Wednesday night, I'm not sure what incredibly stupid thing, decision the court had made or whatever it was. But a person walked in church and said, can you believe they did that? And I went, uh, yeah, I can. We get so frustrated with the world. We get, see, y'all are under, some of y'all are still in the false impression that America is a Christian nation. It is the fourth largest lost nation in the world. What simply is happening, why, why didn't somebody just say amen there? I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that America has walked and walked and ran and jumped away from holy God. And that's why we're the fourth largest lost nation in the world. Number one being China, and we're number four. It's crazy. And so you get frustrated when the president or when the Congress or when the governor or the state Senate or the state house of representatives or someone else makes this crazy decision. And what you fail to realize that a whole chunk of those people are lost. And they're simply acting like lost people. Um, take your Bibles and look to Romans chapter 1. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm really going to help you. Because I'm going to show you today, already hopefully I'll partially have, that lost people are just acting like lost people. And what they need is Jesus. That would have been a really good place for an amen. Whether they live in Africa or Haiti or Nicaragua or across from you in the street, lost people need Jesus. Verse number 22 of Romans chapter 1. Professing to be wise, speaking about the world, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Paul is saying that society abandoned the one true God and made their own gods. And is that true in America? Yeah. People worship sports. They worship things. They, have, they worship material goods. They worship, worship pride. They worship prestige. So many different things. We are a, a polytheistic society. In other words, we worship many gods in America. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, hello, and worshiped and served the creature, this is it, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, man started worshiping the creation instead of the creator God. Is that true in America? Absolutely it is. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. 
For even their women exchange the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burdening their lust for one another, men and men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. Is that true in America? The biggest uproars we're hearing is about same-sex marriage. And what Paul's writes 2,000 years ago is this is true of a society who does not worship the one true God. This is what lost people do. He goes on and says this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then in case you can't figure that out, he gives you a list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. They're violent, they're proud, they're boasters, inventors of evil things, even disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that society, lost society, today is just doing what lost society does. Paul warned us about it 2,000 years ago. And just warns us about it again today. Now the crazy part is, is that when people forget what God has done for them, and they return back to their former lifestyle, that's the crazy part. People who, quote, have experienced grace... Are some of those things sexually impure, gossipers, backbiters, malicious, envious, that list. And while it's natural for the world to act that way, it's never natural. I don't care what the circumstances are. It's never natural for the church to act that way, for the ecclesia. That's what's crazy today. That, that so much of this has bled over into the body of Christ, into the ecclesia, and sometimes it's accepted as natural That's crazy. It happens when people forget what God has done for you. Hugely, hugely important. So so Paul says, remember now that that, that this, this creature, Satan, is influencing the sons of disobedience. That's what's happening in society. And you, listen, listen. Well, let's just let it speak for itself. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind, and where by nature, we were by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. So Paul says, that society out there, don't forget that's where you were. And the only reason you're not there now is because of God's amazing grace. That's it. That's it. And what's so cool is, if you'll remember what you were, and what God saved you from... Then you'll have a story to tell those people, I once was that, but now I'm not. You can go to the person who so desperately needs Christ and say, I once was like that. Now, this is a dangerous truth. It's a dangerous truth. The danger is this. Satan, the liar, the deceitful one, if you're not careful, he'll feed you so much junk. You call yourself Christian and you did this and you call yourself Christian and you did that. And he will cause you to try to embrace something besides God's grace. Don't relish, don't relish in what you were. But just remember that is in the past. And God has forgiven you. 
And you are made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a song that says, heal the wound, but leave the scar. I remember, I told you this before, there's a cut right there on my thumb. And that, that cut was when I was eight years old. And my daddy said, I was cutting a watermelon and I was bringing a knife toward me. I was holding the watermelon like this. And he said, son, don't cut the knife, bring the knife towards you, you'll cut yourself. Did I listen? No. Have you ever had bloody watermelon before? I did. Sliced my finger right there. But that scar reminds me, don't bring the knife towards you when you're eating watermelon. And the scars of our past help us to remember what God has saved us from. And, and we can tell others, I know what God did for me. He can do it for you. That's the power of the truth today. The danger is don't let Satan whoop it on you and hold over your head. Paul said, my goodness, did Paul have a past? And Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And when he said, forgetting the things of the past, he said, I am not going to let my past control me. I may have been an adulterer, but I'm not now. I may have been a liar, but I'm not now. I may have been a thief, but I'm not now. I refuse to let those things control me. I press forward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, surrounded by God's amazing grace. Amen? Amen? Powerful, powerful, powerful. If you take nothing away from the lesson today besides the truth that we need to remember what we were so we appreciate what we are, then it's worth the price of the admission today. It's worth, it's worth getting out in the snow today if you take that truth home. So here we have this. I'm going to read the whole block again because we're fixing transition into the grace portion. Here's the grave. Now he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. And by the way, notice the word all there. Don't get all spiritual on me. All once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Just as the others. One, one pause. One pause. Don't miss that. There's a time of God's wrath coming. Now's the time of grace. But there is coming a time of God's wrath. And every person who rejects Jesus Christ will experience the full wrath of God. And that's what hell is about. Now, you want to know again why we do missions? You want to know why we do block parties? You know why we give away shoes in August? You want to know why we have a benevolence program? You want to know why we go to Africa? You want to know why we go to Nicaragua? Because we have been saved from the wrath of God, but there's so many people who have not been saved by the wrath of God, and they will experience hell without Jesus Christ. That's why. This church does not exist for our comfort. It does not exist for what makes us happy. It exists to tell the gospel, the good news, that there is hope for lost people through the grace of Almighty God. That's why we exist. After all that hopeless and helpless, two words, two words in verse four, but God, he steps in, he who could step into a hopeless and helpless situation, he who could step in, steps in, didn't have to. In fact, you will know, see, sometimes we think, well, I was just so worth it. You are not worth it. It was not about your worthiness. 
is about His grace. In fact, Paul makes it so clear. But God, who is rich in mercy. Not that you were so good. You weren't. But God, His nature is, He's rich in mercy. Mercy has been defined as when God doesn't give us what we deserve. And take, it as, take it as a man on death row. He's committed murder and he has been sentenced to the court and he deserves death. But someone comes in and through mercy commutes the death sentence to life. So God stepped in with mercy. So God stepped in and says, you deserve eternal separation. But in mercy, I'm not going to give you that. In fact, he goes on and says this. Because of his great love with which he loved us. So he's a great God of mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love. Listen to these verses. verses. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, not that we sought God, not that we looked for God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to be the atonement for our sin. The truth is, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the atonement was made for our sins. It used to be a lamb looking forward to the cross. But that day, the lamb of God was nailed to a cross and our sin was atoned for. The wrath of God was satisfied because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Dear, but, oh, I, I couldn't leave this out. But dear friends, if God loved us this way, we must love one another. Have you been hearing a theme with me? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. This world, if they're going to believe in Jesus Christ, has got to see Jesus Christ in us. And Jesus Christ they need to see as God loved us, we need to love each other. This bickering, fighting thing is killing the church. And it's killing the power of the gospel. Both here in other churches, and around this world. They will know we are Christians by our love. So God was rich in mercy. And because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Oh, get this. We were dead. Have you got that? Dead. God didn't say, fix yourself up, and then we'll talk. God didn't say, get yourself out of the casket, And we'll talk. God didn't say, quit this first. God didn't say, get a little, I'm going to use bad grammar, get a little gooder. And then we'll talk. No, no, he said this, that even while we were dead, he saved us. That's the message. We so often want to tell people... Do this and then you can get saved. That's like those crazy Jews who wanted Gentile guys to get circumcised before they could become Christians. You've got to have a surgery before you become a Christian. God says, no, no, no. Listen, that while, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come on now. Christ died for us while we were sinners. This is the power of the gospel. This is God's amazing, wonderful grace. So, so he's rich 
in mercy. He, he loved us with this great love that even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead and he spiritually resurrected us. Wow. Wow. You know, I, one of my favorite scriptures is Luke chapter 7. It's where, you know, Jesus meets the funeral procession. Man, you're going to hear it this Easter. I already got it scheduled. And, you know, and, and Jesus saw the, the widow lady and she was all, you know, he was all full of compassion. He walked over and said, young man, sit up. And the young man said, start talking. And if you're at a funeral and the dead person sets up, the funeral is over. Well, we were dead in trespasses and sin, but he made us alive. Who made us alive? What part did you play? Go on, go on. What part did you play? What did you bring to God's table to say, okay, I deserve to be alive? You ain't got nothing. All you can do is receive what Jesus Christ has already done. That kind of knocked the pride out and make you a little bit humble. When you start to realize, how can I judge someone else when it was just grace that saved me? And that should drive us to share that message. How can I judge my neighbor when I was like him? The only difference is I've experienced God's grace and he has not yet experienced God's grace. So, so he made us alive. And then, and then he says it just in case you're missing. He says, by grace, you have been saved. Church, Ecclesia, if you're on your way to heaven today, as an Ecclesia member, you would be. You need to understand you're going by God's grace. Not because you came to church on a snowy day. Not because you have a certain set of Christian behaviors down. Not because you give money to Lottie Moon. You are going to heaven based on God's amazing grace. You cannot make God love you more or love you less by your performance. You are saved and held by God's amazing grace. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I mean, it changed the way we think about people. He goes on and says this. After you've been saved by grace, in verse 6 he says, this is one of the longest sentences. Paul was always doing these run-on sentences. And this is one of them. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. Notice that he made us to sit. He's not going to make us sit. He made us to sit. Now, in some incredible way that's way outside our realm of understanding and possibility to understand, God sees us already seated in heaven with him. He says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1. And he repeats it again here. He has made us to sit in the heavenlies. Now, for those of you who wrestle with eternal security, in God's way of thinking, He sees you as if you're already sitting with, sitting with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. You ain't going to fall from grace. Grace is stronger than that. Grace is stronger than that. And He sees you. I've I got to tell you this story. You might as well get the whole load since you came to church today. 1978, probably. I've been a Christian for a couple of years. They'd already made me a deacon. It was crazy. And so we had a female missionary lady there. Her husband and her would smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. They posed as a rich Texan couple, and they drove an RV behind the Iron Curtain with Bibles stashed inside the walls, taking Bibles to the, to the people behind the Iron Curtain. I can't even remember her name, but I can see her face like it's yesterday. And she says, Dwayne... Do you know that the way God sees you, he sees you already seated in the heavenlies as if you're already there? I said, yes, ma'am. And she looked at me and said, no, you don't. (laughs) 
No, and she was right. I didn't understand it. But you know what? I believe it. I believe it that God, according to God's word in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, He tells us, He sees us as already sitting in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know what you are? Do you know what you are? You are a trophy of grace. That's what you are. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be one massive, gigantic trophy hall. You know, you go to Mike Maynard's office, and four deer stare at you. They're mounted there. I'm mean, nice deer. I mean, really nice. But they, there's eight eyeballs just staring at you. And those are Mike's trophies of deer hunting. You know, some of you, like I know Loxton got one, and it's his first buck. And I said, you going to mount it? Yeah, he's going to mount it and put it on the wall. You know, we used to go out to the river cabin at the Franks. I think they finally redecorated it. But gosh, there's like 95 deer heads and, and mooses and all that stuff. And you're kind of like sitting there going, man, these guys are looking at me, dude. I didn't do it, okay? I want you all to know this. I didn't do it. Well, we're not going to be mounted on a wall. But for the ages to come, we are testimonies. Not of our good works. Not of our sacrificial service in, in Middle Asia. Not in our sacrificial service on a long Sunday afternoon in August. But we are testimonies of God's amazing grace. And through the ages, we proclaim the, the amazing grace of God. That's what it says. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You're a trophy. You're a trophy. Not a good works. Not a being a badness. You're a trophy of God's amazing grace. And then that wonderful scripture we all know, for, for by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. It's nothing to do with you. Not of, not of yourself. Not of works. Not of works, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here's our word for the series. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. So, Ecclesia, as you sit here today, on a day when you could have legally, rationally stayed home and said, let's just not do church today. You came. And I pray it's not because... Well, it's Sunday, you know, I know you're supposed to go to church on Sunday and God might give me a flat tire if I don't. I hope you woke up and say, you know what? I don't know if there's going to be 10 or 100 or 200 there this morning, but I want to gather together and sing the praises of Jesus Christ, God's mercy, and His wonderful, amazing grace. Amen. 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 Because of His grace, I shall not go to hell. I should go to heaven. Because of grace, I went from hopelessness to a life full of hope. Because of grace, we have gone from a purposeless, a life without purpose to a life with purpose. Because of grace, I went from being helpless to having the most wonderful help in the world, Jesus Christ. That's grace, guys. But it gets even better. 
Because we got the gravy. You know, I'm a purist usually. I, again, you might as well get the whole load. Jeremiah and me, you know, try to once a week. And traditionally, we have a bowl of grits. I have a bowl of grits. And this week, he's had a bowl of grits. And uh, I'm a purist, you know, salt, pepper, a little bit of butter. And, and he's a heretic. And he puts sugar in his grits. Now, anybody who knows, anybody who knows anything about grits, grits are not destined for sugar. It's warm, okay? So, so he went ahead and, you know, put sugar in his grits. And I finally said, I got a clean spoon. I said, give me a taste, you know. And I, and I took a bite and went, no, no, no. It's wrong. It's wrong. You don't put sugar in grits. I'm a purist. Now, same thing with good mashed potatoes. Now, granted, there are some mashed potatoes that need a little help. You put gravy on those. But if mashed potatoes are done right, a little salt, a little pepper, maybe a little bit more butter, voila. Today, we've got gravy on our mashed potatoes, not because it needs help, but just because it's the right thing to do. Because look what he says. Look what he says. For we are his workmanship. We are his new creation. One, I see it frequently translated, we are his masterpiece. So now watch. God took us from a rotten, decaying corpse... He resurrected us spiritually and made us a masterpiece. Y'all clappers ought to clap right then. That's what I'm talking about. We were a putrid, dead corpse, corpse separated from God. He made us alive. He resurrected us through the power of His grace. And He made us a masterpiece. Now this is so cool. Now again, some of you guys have no problem with this. But some of us do. Some of us who look in the mirror and don't like what we see, you know, we wrestle with that. And I remind myself, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. I am a masterpiece. Not because I'm good, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm Baptist, not because that. I'm a masterpiece because of God's grace. And I am preaching to 200 masterpieces today. And by God's grace, i got three minutes on the radio. I'm preaching to a lot more people on the radio that you need to understand you're a masterpiece of God. Because God's grace makes masterpieces. It doesn't make junk. You are His workmanship. You are His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not not by good works. Not do works so you stay saved. But God made you a masterpiece. Unto good works. And those good works are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Telling others what you've experienced. Experienced telling others about how you once were dead... And now your life, your life had no purpose and now it does. And if you if, if you walked in here today going, well, I don't feel very purposeful. I hope by now you do. I hope you understand that, that man, God loved you enough. And because of his great mercy, that he resurrected you and made you whole. And you're part of the ecclesia. You're part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ gets to be trophies of grace for all eternity. But right here, right now, we get to share the good news. To love others, our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors. Our folks across the world or across the street, that God's grace truly is amazing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And watch this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Long before. Some say before the foundation of the world. It says one scripture. See, did you hear the testimony of Matt 
I came back to work in the family business. Not ever dreaming that God would call me. Do you think one day that God was up in heaven with the Son and the Holy Spirit? And God kind of snapped his fingers. Now, I know God's spirit, but this is for point of illustration. I know what. Why don't we call Matt and Bethany to go overseas? Did you know what a thought never occurred to God? He always knew. And before the foundation of the world was laid, he could see Matthew and Bethany's life that one day he would choose and call them to go where he's calling them to serve. And you know what? He's got a plan for you. Terry, he's got a plan for you. Laverne, he's even got a plan for you. How about that? How about that? And it's all because of God's grace. Jonathan asked me. He said, Dwayne, did, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. He goes, did you ever think you'd leave Jacksonville? I thought a moment. I said, you know, Jonathan, I, I didn't have any plans. College wasn't in the picture. Mom and dad never even mentioned college to me. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And then that crazy story about the preacher's son who came up to me and said, hey, why don't we join the Air Force together and the buddy program and we can go to basic together and then we'll serve together our first base. And I signed up and he didn't. <laughs> Somebody, huh? But so, so he takes the Florida boy and puts him in Minot, North Dakota, and then in Valdosta, Georgia, where he meets the sweet young thing at church. And they go to Germany, and God starts working on his heart, and he takes me to Warrensburg. Twelve years later now into the Air Force, and he says, I want you to serve me as a pastor. I didn't know that. And I still can't believe it. I'm being honest. I'm being candid with you. I still can't believe what he's done. But he had a plan that I didn't even know about. And he's got a plan that you don't know about. So what you do, Ecclesia, body of Christ, is you just trust him. And he's opened doors. You walk through doors. If he closes doors, then you don't go through those doors. You trust him. And as he unfolds his beautiful plan for you, his beautiful plan for you. And then one day, one day, the last heartbeat's going to come. And you're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And then you're going to experience a new phase of grace. You're going to go to heaven, escorted, I believe, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to spend eternity in heaven singing the praises of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And thanking Him for His amazing grace. I was dead. He resurrected me and made me alive in Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Paul and writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And thank you that it was preserved as your word and we get to benefit it from that today. And honestly, Father, I spoke the truth. I'll tell you, I'll tell these people that you assembled this group of people together. For your purposes today. So I speak, Father, and pray for us, your ecclesia, the called out ones, that we might remember what you saved us from and what you called us to. 
Forgive us. No, no. Convict us. And then lead us. If we ever, Father, forget what you've done for us and think by some merit we've warranted, warranted our salvation. If by keeping a set of rules or doing some behaviors, we think we merit our salvation, correct us, God. May we always be the greatest fans of your amazing grace. Thanks, God, for that. Now, Father, I don't know. There may be someone here today who's never experienced that grace. And perhaps you brought them here under some sort of circumstances just so they could hear this message. And the best news that they could hear today is that there's hope for them and there's help for them through Jesus Christ in your grace. So as we have this decision time, Father, if there's someone who needs to know more about how they can become uh, trophies of grace, lead them to come and take Brent by the hand that we might share with them that great truth. So thanks, God. You really are incredible. And Jesus, I willingly and gladly pray this in your most holy name. Amen.